This morning, we're going to uh, continue our study of the book of Colossians. We are on the second week. Uh, this morning, I'm going to talk about God's will. Is it amaze or amazing? Amaze or amazing? So, we'll be in Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 to 14. So, let me read the passage for us and then we'll pray. Verse 9. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to desire that he might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Verse 10, that he might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, unto all patience, and long-suffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father which has made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Verse 13, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son. And then lastly, in verse 14, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sin. So let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the grace and mercy, the peace that you always shower us. Thank you for your word that we can open every Sunday morning and every moment of our life to study and meditate on and to memorize and to apply into our life. So I pray, Lord, that you will fill us with your Holy Spirit to understand what you want to teach us, O oh Lord, this morning so that we can become your fishers of men, ready to reach out to the lost and tell them the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord, to show this not only in our words, but also in our actions, so that people will be attracted to you and you alone. In Jesus' mighty name I pray, amen. God's will, is it amazed or amazing? It's very important for us to remember that the will of God is completely and clearly shown to us in the Word of God. Because sometimes when we go about making decisions, asking for directions, we depend on our own way. And how many times have we done that? I believe most of the time we do that. And we go to the Lord only asking His direction when we are lost already. And remember when you're driving, you're on your destination to your vacation, uh, in a far away place, and you don't know much the, the, the area, so you're depending on the GPS. But sometimes the GPS is just like an invention of man. It could mess up your, your, your directions. And sometimes, especially men, would not want to ask directions from people in the community until they are lost and they don't know where to go, right? And that's like all of us when we go about this life. Remember, the Christian life is not that easy. It's not that simple, making decisions. Perhaps wearing the, your dress for this morning or clothes or wearing your footwear this morning is not that difficult decision, but most of the time, we make decisions that are a matter of sometimes life and death. Some, that, that's something that will affect your future. And most of the times, we listen to people. 
If you don't know yet, uh, this past week again, the World Economic Forum has been meeting and they really want to impose their own agenda into the world. And some of those people involved in the Economic Forum said, probably in the future we don't need to eat meat or milk or eggs or anything else, but we can eat all the crickets and all the insects in the world so that we can save the environment. I know those are foolish ideas, but sometimes we submit to those foolish ideas. We allow people to dictate their will upon our life rather than asking God, Lord, what is your will for my life? What is your will for this church? Sometimes when we try to discern and recognize the will of God, we treat it like a maze. Have you gone through a maze? Or perhaps when you were a child, you were given a sheet of paper which, is, which pictures a maze. Eh? You need to find out where to start so that you can reach your goal. And you need to go through different paths in order to find and to go to that end. And sometimes we treat the will of God like that. It's like a maze. It's something that we need to try and try until you find the will of God. But the Bible tells us that the will of God is not like a maze. Actually, the, the will of God is really amazing. It's in the Word of God. And if we believe that the Bible is the final authority of everything that involves any area of our life, then we understand that the will of God is not a maze, but it is amazing. This passage in verses 9 to 14 teaches us several things. It is phrased into a form of prayer by the Apostle Paul, but we can see here that the Apostle wants us to know that the will of God can be determined by each one of us, not only by the pastors or by people who went to Bible college, but by every individual Christian. And you will know why. Because the Bible is not only for the pastors or for, or for the intellectuals. The Bible is for every believer in Christ. This passage will teach us not only how to determine the will of God, but also the necessary steps to fulfill the word of God. So please pay attention and take some notes and I'll be giving some verses in order for you to study later on. First and foremost, in Psalm 25 verse 14, the Bible says, The secret of the Lord is with them that fear him and he will show them his covenant. So what does the passage say? In order for you to know the secret or the will of God and his covenant for you, as God's child, what do you need to have? You need to have the fear of God. The fear of God is the beginning of knowledge. And that knowledge is not only intellectual knowledge, but also practical knowledge about God, about life, about everything else in this world. So if you don't have the fear of God, the respect and the reverence for the God who created you, the God who saved you from hell and from the sins, that are a big burden upon your life, then you can never know the will of God. So our main point this morning is this. God graciously reveals his plans to each one of us. For what purpose? So that we, ac we can accomplish his will to advance his kingdom. We are here to advance the kingdom of God. We are here to spread the good news. 
We are not just here to enjoy our time together. We are more than a social club. Last week I said we are just more than a golf club membership. It's all about being part of God's kingdom. And being part of God's kingdom, each one of us has a responsibility. Each one of us has a task to do. But all in all, our overall goal is to be fishers of men. Because that is the great commission. That is the great commission for us to teach all nations by the help of our God. So in verse 9, let's take a look at the first point here. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. So we see here that verses 9 to 14, which is one long statement in the Greek language, is in the form of prayer. The Apostle Paul was praying for the Colossian believers. When he prays for the Colossian believers, he means that these things are going to happen in the perfect timing of God. That's why here in verse 9, we see that Paul said, I desire that he might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. And that should be our prayer for ourselves, for each one of us, and for the whole church. That all of us will be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. First, we must recognize the possibility of finding God's will. People think that God's will is something like a secret. It's something that is unknowable. But God's will has been clarified and revealed to us in the Bible. It has been disclosed to us. Some people, when they try to recognize the will of God upon their life, they take the discovery approach. And what is the discovery approach? It's like a trial error method. Okay, I'm going, I have so many options right now. Five options, I'll try option number one first. If that works, that's not God's will. So I'll try number two, number three, number four, number five. And if number five works, then I'll try that direction. But that's fatalism. That's depending on what life brings you rather than what God tells you to do. When the Lord God asked Abraham in Genesis 12 to go to a land where God is going to show him, and remember at, this po- at that point in time, God did not talk, tell Abraham where to go yet. Every step of the way, God told Abraham to make one step at a time until he reached Canaan. And what, what did he do? God commanded him to walk away from his land, away from his family, to a certain land that he doesn't know at the time by faith. And that's how we determine the will of God in our life also. It's always by faith. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 tells us we walk by faith and not by sight. But it doesn't mean that when we walk by faith, we are blinded. God gives us direction every step of the way. If you have not taken the first step of faith, you cannot take the second step. You need to obey God and take the first step. Because most of us will say, God, I'm going to take the steps of faith, probably follow you after 10 steps. 
But God says, no, that's not the way it works in my kingdom. You need to take one step at a time, and then I'll give you the next direction. And that's the beauty of God's will. You don't know perfectly everything that's going to happen in the future. That's why you need to depend on Him day in and day out. So instead of taking the discovery approach, we need to take the discernment approach. The word discernment means to recognize the difference between the right and the wrong. To recognize what is God's will and what is not God's will. But you may ask me, did God give us a specific will in the Bible? Yes, of course. There, there are at least five explicit declarations of God's will. So take this down. First, we're not going to read the passages, but I'm just giving you the passage. So take down first, First Timothy chapter two, chapter two, First Timothy chapter two, three and four. Okay, the first declaration of God's will is that for us to be saved, for us to be saved, for every person in this world, especially if that person is still lost, the the will of God upon that person's life is salvation. Nothing else. Whatever that person is praying for. He needs, he or she needs to be saved first. That's the first and most important will of God. 1 Timothy 2, 3 and 4. Secondly, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. Once you are saved, God wants you to be sanctified. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. Then number three, Ephesians chapter 5, 17 and 18. Ephesians 5, 17 and 18, which tells us, be filled with the Holy Spirit. So the next part of God's will, aside from being saved and sanctified, is to be spirit-filled. Yes, all of us, when we are saved, we are indwelt. That means the Holy Spirit permanently lives and resides in our life. But there are times when the, the Holy Spirit is not filling us. The filling of the Holy Spirit talks about His control. Is guidance. And what are those moments that we are not spirit-filled? When we are doing our own way. When we are not following the way of God, we are not spirit-filled. So being spirit-filled means to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Next one, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 15. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 15. God wants us to stand firm. That's why this morning, our first hymn is, Stand up for Jesus. Be steadfast. Be immovable. Do not be wear down, worn down by the ways of the world. Do not follow the moldings, the shapings of the world upon our life, but follow the Lord Jesus Christ's pattern of life. So stand firm. No matter what happens in times of troubles, in times of wealth, poor or rich, you still are standing firm in the Lord Jesus Christ. And lastly, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 19, God's word tells us that we ought to suffer. Suffer. We suffer. We do, we're not only saved and sanctified and spirit-filled and we're not only standing firm, but we are called to suffering. And Christians do not want to hear about that. If Jesus Christ suffered,
for about three and a half years in his ministry here on earth. How much more his children? How much more his disciples? So if you're suffering right now, it's because of your faith, not suffering because of your own wrongdoing, then be joyful because you are following the pattern and the example of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what are some patterns of suffering that we can experience? It could be persecution, mockery, insult from people, especially when you reach out to them with your faith, when you tell them that the Bible is the final authority in your life, you will suffer. And we know that's going on already in some communist nations and some other parts of the world. People are suffering. Missionaries are suffering because of their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So as we can see, even though we have only looked at the five explicit declarations of God's will, we know that God's will is always clear. It's always clear. Because the voice of God coming from the Word of God is always clear. It should not be confusing. It, it can become confusing if we infuse our own mindset, our own thoughts, our own insights. We must allow God, we must allow the Holy Spirit to take over all our thoughts and our perspectives. So God's will is clear. God's will is also consistent. From Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21, God never changes. And if God never changes, then His will, His plans, His purposes will never ever change. He might change the methods or the approaches, just like we have different approaches in evangelizing to people, right? We either speak the Word of God or sometimes we show through our works, but nevertheless, the will of God and the good news of the gospel is consistent all throughout the Bible. Also, the, the will of God is also customized to each one of us. That means even though God has a unique will for the whole church, the local church, God has a specific will also for each one of us. And that could be in your profession, in your career. Some of you, God wants to be a doctor. God wants to be a nurse. God wants to be a computer engineer or a software developer or a stock trader or investor or whatever. So that, that's what we call the calling or the vocation that God has called you. But nevertheless, that is going through an ultimate purpose again, which is to advance the kingdom of God. So wherever you are, whether you are in the secular, so-called secular field, because that's a really a misnomer. If you are a Christian, you can never be in any secular field because if you are a Christian in your workplace, that's your ministry. And that cannot be secularism. That's still the kingdom of God because you are there. God is depending upon you to reach out to those people in your workplace, in your school or in your housing, in your townhouse complex. God is in you, and God wants to use you in that area. God's will is not only disclosed and revealed to all of us, but here in verse 9, as we can see, God's will must be discerned. It must be recognized. 
if it's really from the voice of God or is it the voice of the world or the voice of Satan? So take note again in verse 9. It says here, you might be filled with the knowledge of his will. In the English language, we have these um, so-called voices, right? Voices in, in the verbs. We have the active and the passive voices. In this case, the verb filled might be filled is in the passive voice, which means that when we are filled, we don't do it by ourselves. It is the Holy Spirit who fills us. We are the receiver of the action. And the doer of the action of the filling is the Holy Spirit. We receive His filling. And what does that mean? That means that we need to rely on the Lord and the Holy Spirit always in order to understand the will of God. We cannot depend on our own thinking and said, say to the Lord, Lord, I can handle this. I know how to do this. Let me do it. But the moment that you do it without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, you will say, oh, I regret doing what I did. I should have listened to the Holy Spirit rather than following my own will. So it's a passive knowledge. Secondly, it is also practical knowledge. It says here, with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom, Wisdom is the practical application of our knowledge about God and the Word of God. Yes, we know that we need to teach all nations. We know that we need to do good works. But how do we practically apply that in our own setting? So we do that by memorizing the Word of God, the verses about salvation, so that we are able to tell people about the Bible. Or with our good works, when we show kindness to people in our workplace, we help them out doing the, doing the extra mile when they need help. They will perhaps ask the question, why are you helping me? You're different from other co-workers in this workplace. You're always helping me. You're always extending great help to me. Then that will be a door opener for each one of us to tell this person, Oh, it's not all about me. It's all about my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's practical knowledge, the will of God. And lastly, it is a spiritual knowledge. Take this down. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 to 14. 1 Corinthians 2, 10 to 14. It says there that the spiritual things are only discerned or recognized by the Holy Spirit. So any person who is lost... And any Christian who is not spirit-filled will not be able to understand the Word of God. Even if that lost person has been going to Bible college, but if that person is not saved, if that person is not permanently indwelled by the Holy Spirit, he may be able to intellectually explain the Bible, but not spiritually discern it and share the meaning, the interpretation of the Word of God to people. That's the great difference between people who are intellectual rather than the spirit-filled. So God's will is spiritual. It says here, in all wisdom and is spiritual understanding. Because there's always human understanding and spiritual understanding. 
And Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Lean not unto thine own understanding, but lean unto the spiritual understanding that comes from the Holy Spirit of God. Secondly, in verse 10, we must embrace the purpose. We must embrace the purpose of following the will of God. Verse 10, that he might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. First and foremost, we see here in verse 10, the importance of pleasing the Lord. Remember, pleasing the Lord is different from seeking his approval. We don't need to seek his approval. We don't need to seek the acceptance from the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because we are already accepted in the beloved. The moment that we are saved, we are already approved. We are already accepted. We don't need to work our way to be approved and to be accepted by the Lord God himself. Whether you are a mediocre Christian or a Christian who is mature, you're already approved and accepted by God. But when you are saved, God wants you to continually please Him. So first we can see in verse, nine, verse 10 here that we must long to please Christ. We must long. There should be that desire. In our inner being, there should be that desire, that passion. Lord, I know I may not be a mature Christian. I'm still a young Christian at this moment. But my desire, deep within my heart, is to please the Lord Jesus Christ, to follow His will, to follow His example, to honor His name. And the honor of Christ and the glory of God should be the intended outcomes of our obedience. So we please Christ by obeying the commandments in the Word of God. But ultimately, we obey because we want to honor Jesus Christ. Just like when you are in the workplace, why do you follow your employer's commands? Okay, you do this, you do this, and do this, and do that. Why? Because you want to honor that person. Or perhaps you have another reason, perhaps to get higher wages, but ultimately, your purpose is to honor this person. How much more our Lord Jesus Christ, who did so much for all of us, even when we were powerless, when we were ungodly, we were helpless, we were sinners, what did Jesus Christ do? He died on the cross for our sins. Before you were born, Jesus Christ died for you already. And by your acceptance of his gift of eternal life, then you are accepted also into his kingdom. His honor and the glory of God are important motivators for us to please Christ. And as we long to please Christ, we need to have that mindset also that we are willing to lay down all our dreams and desires. Some of you perhaps, um, when you, before you became a Christian, you would say, just like me, I would like to become um, a doctor. Okay? Because that's a noble uh, idea and purpose because I want to care for people. But how if after you become a Christian, God says, I don't want you to continue with your career, with your profession. I want you to follow me 
in full-time ministry? Will you lay down your dreams and your desires and your ambitions? And God says, you may not have that much money compared to the famous doctors right now, but you are serving me. You're giving me honor. You're giving me the glory that I deserve. Would you do that? Would you do that? And that's my question to all of us. What if God calls you to a certain task? I'm not saying that God would want you to go to a foreign missions, but perhaps do something outside of your comfort zone. And you may need to leave your dreams and desires aside for the glory of Christ. Would you willingly tell Jesus Christ, yes, Lord, I will do it. Or would you say, Lord, just like the disciples, the people who follow Jesus Christ in Luke chapter 9, 57 to 62, not now, Lord, I still need to bury my father. Not now, Lord, I say goodbye to my parents, to my relatives. Would you say right away to Jesus, to Jesus Christ, Lord, yes, 100%, I'll do it. That's how you long to please the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's not enough for us to long to please the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to practically show that. We need to do the walk. So verse 10 says that he might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. The word walk in the Bible, as we all know, is all about our lifestyle, the way we live our life as Christians. But this lifestyle in the Christian life is characterized by obedience. It is characterized by godliness. And these two important um, characteristics of this lifestyle, obedience and godliness, they should be consistent with our identity. And what is our identity as Christians? We are called saints. And saints means we are holy. We are set apart for the Lord Jesus Christ, for his purpose, for his kingdom. Our identity is also based on our calling. What is our calling? Our calling is to be fishers of men. Our identity is also based on the gospel. We are here to spread the good news. We may have different approaches and methods, but God wants us to ultimately spread the good news. And how do we do that again? We need to submit and surrender our lives, commit our whole life to Him. We can never live in comfort and convenience again. Yes, that may be sad to hear from me and from the Word of God, but the Christian life is not a life of convenience. You do not become a Christian so that you can be lying down on a bed of roses, but you'll be lying down on a bed filled with thorns. Sad to say, but that's the truth. Even the Apostle Paul in Acts 13, I believe, he said, we must through much tribulation endure until we reach the kingdom of God. All of us must endure tribulations, challenges in our life. We can never live in comfort and convenience at all times. We need to surrender completely our life to the Lord. Now, thirdly, we must adopt the process of fulfilling God's will. So what is the process of God's will? Again, in verse 10, it says here, being fruitful in every good work. Okay? The first thing 
that we are called is to do good works. We have James chapter 2 to tell us that faith without works is dead. It's not enough that we have faith, that we need to express and display that kind of faith in our actions. It's one thing to say, Pastor, I'm going to help you next week with a church setup. It's another thing to do it. Because you might only say, I'm going to help you out next week, but then come next Sunday, you are not there. So what I mean is this. Walk your talk. Practice what you preach. Whatever you say, do it. Mean it. When you make a promise, by the grace of God, fulfill it. Do good works. And here in verse 10, it is manifested as being fruitful. Again, the word fruitful means to bear fruit. And we bear fruit through our actions. We bear fruit through spreading the good news to other people. It is the work of the gospel. The good work is ultimately the work of the gospel upon people's life. So faith produces good works. And the Bible also tells us to be zealous for good works. That's in Titus chapter 2, verse 14. And we are, when we are doing good works, we are also becoming fruitful. We obtain the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, and so on and so forth. Those are virtues or characters, characteristics that the Holy Spirit gives us in order for us to accomplish the good works God intended for each one of us to do. And remember, the good works are not intended for us to be honored, for us to be glorified. Jesus said in John 15, 8, the purpose of doing good works and bearing fruit is to glorify God and also to distinguish us as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's in John 15, verse 8. And Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, that we are ordained beforehand. We are created beforehand to do good works as Christians. Also in verse 10, we are not only called to do good works, but we are also called to go deep, increasing in the knowledge of God. We ought to be increasing in the knowledge of God. That means to grow in the knowledge. And how can we grow in the knowledge of God? It starts with studying and meditating in the Word of God. How can you know your craft? For example, you're studying to become a nurse or a doctor. How can you become a better nurse or better doctor if you're not consulting your manuals? How can you become a better Christian if you don't know, have the basic instruction before leaving earth, the Word of God? If you don't read the Bible, or even if you read it only once in a while, when you feel like doing it, then you can never increase in the knowledge of God. And remember, this knowledge is not only intellectual, because it's easy to have intellectual knowledge, but the practical and spiritual application of the knowledge is also important. And the Word of God helps us as we pray and ask the Lord God to guide us on how we can approach the Word of God in a practical way. We grow in spiritual depth and personal intimacy. 
not only intellectual, but also intimacy with God. Have you tried this, reading the Bible from Genesis to Revelation every year? And at the end of the year, you evaluate your life, you evaluate your spiritual attitudes, your behavior, and your maturity. If you do that consistently every year, you'll find out that you have grown, not only in intellectual knowledge, but also in the way you fellowship with God and with God's people. Because the Word of God is not dead. The Word of God is active and living and dynamic. It changes lives. And if you're not reading the Word of God and studying, meditating on it, aside from listening to the preaching on Sunday morning and Bible study Wednesday evening, if you don't study it by yourself, you will not grow. You will not know more about Jesus Christ. Remember, many people said that the Word of God is like God's love letter. When you were courting your spouse right now, or you're being courted by your spouse right now, you have some exchanges of your love letters. And through those love letters, that your, your relationship grows deeper. How much more with the Word of God, which is a living, the living Word of God. So we are called to go deep. Also in verse 11, we are also called to grow strong. Verse 11, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power. In unto all patience and long suffering with joyfulness. So again, strengthened here is in the passive voice, which means that we do not strengthen ourselves. That strength comes from outside each one of us. And that strength comes again from the Lord God through the power of the Holy Spirit. And what does that mean? That means that fulfilling God's will in our life is impossible apart from His strength. That's why Paul said in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ or through Him which strengtheneth me. How can you do all things? Only through Christ. Because he's the one who strengthens you. We can never do things. Well, we may do things, but we cannot do them well without Christ who strengthens each one of us. So we see here that the Lord is the active provider and the active source of our strength. And what is the purpose of the strength? The purpose of the strength that he gives us is for us to have patience and long-suffering with joyfulness. Patience means Endurance, the ability to withstand all kinds of trials and sufferings and remain focused in your walk with the Lord. That's patience. It's not about waiting. It's not about waiting in line for a long time. It's about enduring and remaining focused on the Lord despite what happens in your life. How about long-suffering? Long-suffering is attached to joyfulness because as we suffer afflictions in this world, we need to be enduring in our sufferings. That's why it's called long-suffering. God is a long-suffering God and we ought to be long-suffering also. And when we are long-suffering, we need to demonstrate joyfulness because that differentiates the people of the world from the people of God. The joyfulness in the midst of suffering. Because everybody suffers right now, all over the world, everybody's suffering. 
In the Philippines right now, I, I, um, I've gotten this news from my uh, high school batchmates that the, you know, one kilogram of onions is so expensive. And that's why it's now no longer a necessity, but it's all already a luxury to have onions. So when they cook food, they don't put onions anymore because it's so expensive. It's like gold. And people who are lost, yes, they understand suffering, but they're not suffering with joyfulness. But God's people, when they are suffering, there's joy. You can see the smile in their face. You can see that they're still moving on, that they're still walking with the Lord, no matter what happens. And that, again, distinguishes us from the people of the world. In verse 12, giving thanks unto the Father, which has made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in life. We are also called to give thanks. One of the process of the steps of fulfilling God's will is to give thanks. It's not only to go deep, to do good works, to grow strong, but also to give thanks. Giving thanks in everything. And we are, when we are grateful, when we are thankful, that means we know that we are devoted to the plan of God. And we understand the will, the, the will of God in our life. And that's why we are thankful. God, despite all the sufferings and tribulations and trials, we still thank you because we're still alive, we're still breathing, we're still in this church, free to study the word of God, free to worship you in spirit and truth. And we are so thankful about that. Remember here that we are called to give thanks, to be grateful, not only during Thanksgiving Day, but every instant of our life. That's why Paul says, in everything give thanks. In everything, and that means not only in all situations, but in, at all times, we need to be thankful. Thankfulness is not a sentimental attitude. It's not only in your mind. It's something that you intend to act on. And when we are thankful to the Lord, what do we do? We serve Him. Lord, because I'm thankful so much for your love, for me, and for these people, we're going to serve you. We're going to suffer for your name's sake, for righteousness' sake. No matter what happens, we will be thankful. And lastly, in verses 13 and 14, we must relish the freedom of God's will. Later on, we're going to relish all the kinds of food. A while ago, I, I, I was smelling all those good food that we brought for our potluck. But relishing God's will is much, much better than the physical food that we are going to share with one another. What is the freedom of God's will? Verse 13 tells us, Who has delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. The word deliver here means rescue. Okay? Deliver is probably a very light term, but if you interpret that more consistently and in a more clear manner, it means to rescue. And that underlines the fact that God, Jesus Christ has rescued us from our lost condition. And that tells us that when we are in our lost condition, we are in a dangerous situation. 
So keep that in mind. Lost people in the world right now in a, are in a very dangerous situation. As I've said before, they're like inside a house burning with fire. And nobody else would want to save them. And nobody else can save them except Jesus Christ. And who are the people being indwelt by the, by the Lord Jesus Christ? It's us. So think about that person that you're praying for. That one person that I told you about in the past few weeks. Think about that one person as in a single house by himself or perhaps with his family members burning with fire. And they cannot get out because they are trapped in that, in that burning house. And you are the only one. You have the armor of God to protect you so that you can bring those people out of that burning house. God rescued you. Would you rescue other people by the help of Jesus Christ? The word translated here in verse 13 means to transfer. So God has transferred us through the death of his son, Jesus Christ, from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And these two words, delivered and transferred, refers to our positional status before and after salvation. But before our salvation, where are we? We are in the kingdom of darkness. After salvation, we are now in the kingdom of light. But there is a vast and wide distance between the darkness and the light. Just like heaven and hell. There's a wide gap, there's a wide chasm between God and the lost people. And Jesus Christ is the mediator. Jesus Christ is the bridge that can bring lost people into heaven. And God has rescued each one of us. God has transferred each one of us. And in verse 14, we have been redeemed. In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Again, the word redeem means to buy back and to set free his people. We have been bought back by the Lord Jesus Christ. Back to his kingdom, back to the kingdom of light. And we were set free. And that's what it means by the word forgiveness. The word forgive means to send away, to cancel. Because we have the debt of sin. All of us have debts, the debt of sin in our life. And the problem with that debt is not that debt cannot be consolidated. That debt cannot be removed from us by our own doing. Only Jesus Christ did that on the cross. That's why when God says, I forgive you of all your sins, that means I'm sending away all of your sins back into the deepest parts of the oceans, and I will remember them no more. I'm canceling all your debts. You're starting from zero. You are no longer in the negative, but now you're in the positive because you are part of God's kingdom. So how do we live what we have learned this morning? So I'll give you these nine items, and this part of Colossians 1, 9 to 14. And pray for yourselves these nine things. Pray that you will understand God's will, Pray that you will gain the spiritual wisdom that you need. 
Pray that you will please and honor God. Pray that you will bear good fruit. Pray that you will grow in the knowledge of God. Pray that you will be filled with the strength that comes from God. Pray that you will have great endurance and patience. Pray that you will stay full of Christ's joy. And lastly, pray that you will always give thanks to the Lord. Keep this in your prayer notebook or in your smartphones. Pray for all these things every moment for yourself, for your family members, and for the whole church. And who knows, through this, God will continue to transform you and we will become more our Lord Jesus Christ. So let us pray. Father in heaven, thank you that you've given us these instructions about knowing your will. Now it's our turn not only to pray for these things to happen in our life, but to act intentionally, intentionally on what you have commanded us already and instructed us to do for your honor and glory. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen. Let us all stand up, please.